Welcome to Inside Abode. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dave Jones. And of course, as you know, this week we are doing uh, a Black History Month reflection similar to last year, you know, to continue this conversation of 2020 and post George Floyd, post Ahmaud Arbery, post Trayvon Martin, post uh, Eric Garner, post yeah, Sandra Bland. I drew a blank there for a minute. Um, yeah, so I can say post forever, but like either way, people are listening and we appreciate that. So we're going to continue the conversation. Um, so today I have a special guest and friend, Jasmine Jefferson with me. What's up, Say what's Dave? up to the people. <laughs> Happy to be here. Excited to uh, participate in this conversation. I love what you're doing and why you're doing it. So hopefully we'll bring some new insight for people. Yeah, that's that's the goal. Uh, so talk, tell us a little bit, bit about yourself. What's your passion? Right now, my passion is staying warm. It's snowing <laughs> outside. It feels like there's 10 feet of snow, but it's probably only two and a half. Um, I'm passionate about my family. I'm passionate about my work and I'm passionate about the community. I'm passionate about my culture. So food, I like to eat a lot. (laughs) Well, speaking of culture, I think that this is, this is going to be an interesting conversation. And, you know, the goal of this podcast or this series is to just have candid conversations about black issues. Um, and you mentioned culture. And so this podcast is about, you know, having bi- a biracial background and or genetic makeup. So tell me, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, being biracial in America and in your eyes. Like, is that something that, well, first people need to know who even what you look like. Right. So yeah, let's go, go down that path. Well, so there's, there's some new words I'm going to try to yeah, yeah, incorporate tell, into this please. things that I've never heard until this year, 2021. Yeah. So white adjacent, I okay. think like, I'm pretty close to being white. I definitely, people can't always tell what I am, but they definitely will tell me what they think I am. Interesting. Um, So I am biracial. My mother is a redhead. She's Scotch, Irish, and French. Okay. And my father is black and German. So um, I'm a quarter black. However, my mother left when I was very young Mm -hmm. and... I was raised by my dad. So from nine months on, I was with that side of the family. Interesting. Okay. And so at, w- at what point in time did you, did it like really come to you that you were, cause like for me it was third grade. I remember I moved out to Gig Harbor and I was called the N word. I was called a nigger like mm. a week within a week. And I was like, okay, I'd never heard that. Right. But I was growing up at Hilltop Day. I was walking all around Tacoma. It was just, I didn't really, you know, there's, I was just around different people all the time. So I didn't really, that was when it hit me like, oh, racism. Got it. Right. So, I mean, specifically racism, um, you know, I, I can't put a date to it, but I know I was young. So my, my dad got remarried and for other reasons for another show he maintained two households. Uh-huh. There was the house he and I were in, and then there was the house his wife and their kids were in. Got it. And so, you know, going into her environment, there were times where her mother, you know, we would be in the grocery store, and I'm I eyesight with the the bar because I remember mm-hmm. pushing the cart, and we walked past Brazil nuts. Didn't know what Brazil nuts were, and she's like, "Did you know these are nigger toes?" And in my, like, my body, 
you, you know, it, it wasn't like, what are you talking about? It was, that sounds really bad. Right. And so there were other situations like that where I'd be around white people outside of my black family and that type of stuff would happen. Mm-hmm. And it was, I knew it was bad. I knew how I felt. I felt unsafe. I felt in danger. I felt threatened. And I never experienced that when I was with my dad or, you know, my grandfather. I spent a lot of time with my grandfather, um, my aunt, my uncles. It, there wasn't there wasn't that type of talk. Yeah. Like it just didn't it just didn't come up like in terms of even in jargon. Yeah. You know, nobody was saying the N word in any capacity. Yeah. But there was something about her tone of voice and the way her eyes connected with mine that I knew it was bad. So that's my earliest that I yeah. remember something like that. Now I have earlier memories of black joy. Yeah. Which, but there wasn't, you know, any negative, like, you know, you're mixed, you need to do this. It was just celebrating blackness. Yeah. That's crazy. And even as an adult, like for me, like the multi, cause I'm, like we were talking about earlier, I'm I'm 75%. Bl- I mean, shoot, I need to go get my DNA <laughs> tested. But I am not going to just send my DNA to any random right. company. I just, that's why I haven't done it. Um, but uh, when I went to, I remember it was, I went to New Orleans uh, and had a, worked for a trade publication at the time out of Ellensburg. It was based, well, based out of New York, but we were in Ellensburg at the time. And so I flew to Louisiana. We were staying downtown at the Ritz. And this, and I remember walking around. She would go to whatever she had to do, the conference or whatever, and I would just go put my backpack on and just randomly go through the city, just go to places, eat, do whatever. And I loved Louisiana. This is pre, Me too. this is pre, uh, what you call it? Yeah, pre Katrina. Uh, but I remember walking into a, a restaurant, and she and one of the the ladies at the counter was like, "Ooh, what do you mix with?" And I was like, oh, I never heard that, you know, mm. because up in Washington, I'm just black. Right. Um, and but I grew up in a family that was, you know, Japanese and black. And we mm-hmm. had all kinds of different shades. We, we joke where the colors of Benetton, you know, mm-hmm. our family picture. Um, and so that that was my first time I had someone really like acknowledge publicly in a surprising way, like. Oh, my Japanese side, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I got you know." So I you're an adult, it. and this is happening. I'm an adult, right? Yeah, and that's so that's never been happened. happening to me since I was little. Yeah, so like that's that's and that and just so I'm I guess I'm telling that story because it was jarring for me, mm-hmm. and so having that happen constantly is a different, you know, when people are questioning your identity or or what you look like. And it's so random. Yeah, I remember being on the bus. It was just me, and it was an older black woman at the back of the bus. I sat down. And she was like, baby, I know you're black. Mm. And I was just like, <laughs> well, actually, I am. Like, you know, when somebody would say that to me, it would be like, yes, you mm-hmm. see me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that was more of what it was when I'd be around black people. So, you know, when we, we kind of you and I talked a little bit about the passing piece. So when I heard about passing, I thought back to all the times somebody said, oh, you're black, without me saying anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, just kind of coming up quizzically and and asking, like, man, you don't really look white. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, that's because I am not. (laughs) 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 And so, you know, when I hit 40, I would say 42, I met somebody who 
shared a life story where her family told her you should pass where you you need to do these things and you need to do this and you need to do that and I, I went back kind of that sinking feeling of the time where the the step grandmother had said this about mm-hmm. the the Brazil nuts to immediately thinking how tragic a life that must have been right to have to live that way yeah facts and I you know I tried to talk to her about it and she just kind of acted like she didn't hear me but I was like mind blown about what does that mean Mm -hmm. how does that work so by by that you're saying like the white adjacent piece and and basically so how do you going back to the white adjacent term because I've heard you know model minority I don't this is a space for learning and growing and healing um I've heard terms, you know, model minority. I've heard, which I don't even like the word minority personally. Right, no. um, and I've heard now white adjacent, mm-hmm. you know, basically ways of being black or brown, but identifying and appropriating with white culture to the point where you almost basically give up part of yeah. yourself. So if you're like, what does that look like? So why don't you choose your white side, quote unquote? Is that and is that a possibility for you based on your experience? Well, given the fact that I was just asked this question recently, (laughs) not today, but like a week ago, it just never crossed my mind. I never. So I think about a lot of stuff. I'm a thinker. Mm -hmm. I'm naturally curious. I think about stuff that people are like, why do you think about that stuff? I've never thought I should just be white. I should go move somewhere and just be white. Uh Uh-huh. It just never ever crossed my mind. And I think, you know, what I go back to is that relationship that I said I had with my grandfather. Mm -hmm. If you look at my Instagram and the pictures that I post, I love them for who they are. And I'm not going to ignore that they live the life that they lived. I'm not going to look at historical data and pretend that a man born in Alabama in 1913 didn't have a life that I can dishonor by not acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. So it, it just never was an option. Right. You know, and, and there's things that, you know, probably my dad did out of thinking it was pride. Like he would say things, you're my black child. Well, that's confusing because all of your kids are technically the same type of mix that I am. So we're, we're all black. But he was trying to be complimentary that I didn't choose to pass. Mm. Like I think looking back, my family thought we were going to all choose to pass. And mm. I, th- I think nowadays where it was more covert right. back in, you know, the early years of the world, now people can just walk out of their house and just be white. Like you don't have to, you know, we're not intermingling with the community the way that we did. You can just go to work and nobody ever sees your family type thing. Yeah, so yeah. you don't have to move so far away. I know I'm, I'm kind of getting off top p- topic because I have all of these images of all of these times where, you know, these things could have happened. But to be honest, in my heart and soul, mm-hmm. to have to ignore that part of me, w- it, it just it would never, ever sit right. There's nothing in this life worth ignoring my blackness. Right. That's a good point. Uh, there's nothing in my life that's worth ignoring my blackness this world my life this world and and you know there's times where I've sat in a lunchroom as an employee and you know for a time I would just announce it 
I would find the first opportunity yeah. to announce it to avoid the insanity of the type of stupid stuff that white people would say so, when they thought no black people were right. around. Right. So basically, have you found? I was just gonna say. So have you found yourself in that position where you're where you did pass as quote unquote white in a white space where people would then say whatever they were, was on their mind that they always wanted to say? I don't know because I feel like okay so if I had a friend in middle school she was white and I was pretty close to her family and when she, her new stepfather came into the scenario he would say stuff mm -hmm. and I would be like what are you talking about what does that even mean but he knew I was mixed mm. so going back to spaces where I might be in a room full of white people when I was younger I don't know that they necessarily thought I was white. I think they thought I was something else. They knew that I wasn't white, but they were going to go for it anyways. And mm. they felt very comfortable to talk about stuff. And so I had a very defensive um, stance on things. And I, I just made it known, either if it was the way that I um, showed up in appearance-wise. Like, yep. even though it was part of my culture identity to wear large earrings or whatever i liked it right it, but i started finding that that was a defense mechanism mm -hmm. so that I, when i did go it wasn't that i was trying to be black quote unquote it was just don't even go there mm. interesting i like to talk about the weight um, that it takes just to be in the room which um, one <laughs> the weight of your skin color being different than everybody else. So, like, for example, if I'm in an owner's meeting, I'm the only black guy. Oh, yeah. If I go to an owner's retreat, I'm the only black guy. When I was in coaching at that time, when I first started, most times I was the only black guy. Mm -hmm. When it, You know what I mean? Like, you mm -hmm. just, there's a lot of weight that comes with just even being in the space. Right. So, for you, what does that weight look like? So, it's almost like... Um, you take on some of the weight because you're aware mm -hmm. that you're in a space that other people who are darker might not get into. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're also aware that these are a bunch of people with money and power making decisions for other people that don't look like them. Mm. So then there comes the piece of, well, I'm going to do this work not only because it's the right thing to do, but because I have a voice and I need to use it mm -hmm. and I need to use it now. Yeah. And that's, and that's a, that's a burden that, and this is, this is, and these questions, this question in particular is more for the people who are white, who are listening or white audience mm -hmm. and our white brethren who are, and sistren, brethren and sistren. Sistren. Um, yes. <laughs> But I, I want to unearth some things for people so that they understand through these conversations, like just, hey, there's there's weight. So like if you're in there, how do you support right. people? You Ooh. know, like the white people or mm -hmm. for oh. white folks who are listening, like because I like to talk about that weight. Do you even know what it's like to not have the weight? No, I don't. Right. Well, oh, no, no. <laughs> I actually do. I do. Oh, okay. I do. When I was at Foss High School as an administrator and at Mill Creek Middle, uh, Middle School, that's when I felt the most comfortable in my professional career. Because, because I was, it was just, I was in a sea of, of diversity mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was like, oh, this is nice. Like right. I don't stand out here. I can like I just that move and do what I do and, you know, fight and be fun, you know? And just right. like, I enjoy this, you know, it was their trauma that comes along with it. Absolutely. There was a lot of trauma. Like there was trauma that you had to take on just being in the space because of 
the trauma that all was being inflicted on the kids and their families. But that did not supersede like just the welcoming feeling and the, the, the great feeling of being around a bunch of diverse cultures, especially in Kent. There were 77 languages in that school. It wasn't just black, white. It was oh, like wow, that's amazing. everything. I felt comfortable then. And I, was, and I realized like, wow, that's the only time in my professional career I felt really comfortable. And then now in the space that I'm in, because I own the office, mm-hmm. we are able to create the space that we want. Right. Even though it doesn't look like, um, you know, like, Mill Creek or or Foss High School, I would like it to be that way at some point, but that's just not the reality of our business right now. However, that's what we're working towards so that you can have spaces of successful real estate offices that are predominantly black and brown and not even just anything except all, you know, predominantly white. Anything. The whole industry is predominantly white. Right. (laughs) Even in in, uh, primarily black locations in other states you don't see a lot of top producing companies owned or run and or operated by black people. Yeah. Like what about a Hispanic real estate company? Is there any, does that even exist? You know what I mean? So Let's I'm just look. thinking, I'm just thinking in terms of that, like how right. do we create something that, you know, there's, there's all sides represented and not just one side represented. And so when we say that we can sit here and say that, that means there's a serious <laughs> issue of power and wealth yes. in, in our industry. That's being protected for sure. It's being And protected, I think that yeah. it, it's gone on for so long and we haven't had to face it. What we've been doing and talking about and assisting people with learning over the last two years has been everything nobody's been aware of. Well, I can't, I shouldn't say nobody. It's been everything that nobody's been talking about and a lot of people were not aware of. Yeah. That's probably the thing I hear the most was I had no idea. And in my mind, I'm like, Okay, so (laughs) where have you been? Um, But that's even a burden when people start talking about why I had no idea and Mm. they want to talk about it. Mm. I'm already tired from the last 40 some odd years, Mm -hmm. but, you know, doing (laughs) stuff like this in our control, we're controlling the narrative by having this conversation, makes it easier to talk about. Right. If there is anything that you could tell to end, like, is there anything that you would tell the your white family and white people who are listening who mm-hmm. support you and and who support us I should say all of us what would you tell them how they can best support you in this moment oh jeez you know so that's a really good question i think because a lot of people dance around my blackness i don't really actually know what they're thinking mm. i've had more support from the black community I don't know what I don't I don't necessarily know that I need to hear anything from white people and not to sound like cavalier or um, it's I know what the work is that I need to be doing and I know where I'm I'm at in this world and I know where I sit realistically whether people accept that or not Um, yeah I don't actually have an answer to that. You should have sent me that. No, that's kind of the what point. What do I need from my family? I, not I, even your family. Oh, okay, just, just I'm actually, white I don't people really in general that people, are so. no white people okay. in general. Just like for white people that are listening, because they go like, "Oh, I want to help." Because there are people that want to help. You know what I mean? And that's well, okay. So let's go back to that question because the question was posed: You ever wonder do white people? wonder why you choose to be black? Yeah. So stop wondering why I choose to be black. 
respect that I love being black mm. and that that's something that is unique for me. It is a part of who I am. That's how I identify. And it's not that I don't care about being white. It's just my life experience mm. has been being black and just let that be. Like, don't ask me when you find out that I'm single if I have thought about dating white men. Don't ask me that question. <laughs> Why does it matter? I'm not single for because of color. I'm single because I'm ridiculous. <laughs> let's see. What are some of the other things? Oh, I had somebody ask me once. So let's talk about all the weird stuff people have said to yeah, me since I've been over 30. Yeah, let's go. Um, have you ever wished you were blacker? Mm. And I was just like... No, I haven't. Should I? <laughs> it was, am, is that what I'm supposed to be wishing? I do remember wishing that I was one or the other uh. because I was so conflicted. And it was around seventh grade. All in one year, I had been called a white girl and a nigger bitch. Ooh. <laughs> and I was really conflicted yeah, by that. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, how can both hate me? Because these are really hateful things to be yeah, saying. Yeah, for sure. And so I was just like, if I could just be one or the other, I could deal. I could manage one or the other, but to have to manage both felt like a lot. And I couldn't even articulate that at the time. But when this person asked me this within the last five years, it just kind of took me back to, I've never hated who I am. Mm -hmm. It's not a hate thing. And maybe that even goes back to the passing part. Like when people say, would it have been easier to just be white? Mm-hmm. I don't know because I didn't have the thought it would be easier to be white. I had the thought it would be easier to be one or the other. Mm. See, and the, the thing is, I'm really fascinated as I'm listening to you. I'm fascinated because my sons are both multiracial or, or right. biracial. So like they have black and white and Japanese mm -hmm. and whatever in them. So like, but how I, is the world going to treat your boys? That's, that's what I'm saying. Right. Oh yeah. They're going to treat them as men of color. Yes. Um, but I don't know what their experience is like. I, I'm not able to, and I'm trying to, we're trying to have these discussions so that they are aware at least as they navigate the world that they're okay being who they are. Like, yes. and we talk about like, you know, you do have a white side, like your mom is white. So therefore you See, that have wasn't a, conversation. a white side to right. you. Like, but here's how the world's going to treat you. We have mm -hmm. those conversations. Um, <clears throat> So I can only and I don't I will never be able to understand because I grew up. I have my own experience. And that's what I think for white yeah. people. I want them to understand, like all of our experiences are different. Yes. And the things that we reflect on and we think about are different, although the impact and the outcome and end result tends to be the same, mm -hmm. even though our experiences are all different and we right. all are have different backgrounds and ethnicities. I think the emphasis when I hear white people starting to enter the conversation about what it has been like historically for black people and you hear the pull yourself up by your bootstraps we've all had a hard life mm -hmm. um you know i was a woman and or not i was i'm a woman and i had these issues getting into the workforce the same passion they have about identifying their struggles recognizing that people have different struggles too that are just as important to them without discounting the other person because I don't think my experience in my family has never been to discount 
any white person's experience, it has been how do we survive? Mm. And I hear a lot of people just saying, well, I just don't understand why this is even, you know, why do you put so much energy into this? Or, yeah. But I hear them talking about other stuff. It's never direct, which I find very interesting. And I don't, I don't know why people don't have direct conversations. Even that question of, I wonder if white people wonder. Yeah, yeah. Because you were it talking about it was such like, a roundabout question. Like, so who's really wondering this? Did somebody <laughs> ask you this, and you're asking for them, or are you wondering? No, because we talk about that. Like, I, I, I wonder. So, like, just like how we have this series, because we were talking about this earlier. I wonder if why don't white people have these conversations about race out in the open where it's like we're reflecting on Mm -hmm. our shortcomings and or what what areas of growth we have in terms of this race conversation and our place in it in white supremacy and all of those things like I don't maybe and hopefully if someone can point me in the right direction of who's having these conversations but I'd like to listen because a lot of times those conversations are based in hate and or you know, mm-hmm. like I would love to like the interchangeable white ladies podcast. That's a good one. Uh, Channel two five three. I should probably listen to that more. Um, there, you know, that's that's obviously a good one. But like, yeah, I'd like to see more more conversations like that. I, I thought of one. Yeah, go ahead. Don't make black people feel like a spectacle. Mm. That's hard to do, given our media and the way that we all the media we we. <laughs> Take in athletes, all of those things. If you are in a Music, group of people, culture. That, yeah, but that's so. I'll be very specific. So if you're in a learning environment, mm-hmm. and you take the approach that you're going to bring your notepad and your pencil and you're going to take notes, and you have no intention of participating, you've just made the black people in the room a spectacle, mm, and that okay. is a new burden that is super heavy. And I struggled with that. I went through a leadership program and I was vocal on day one. I will not be treated like a monkey in a cage. Mm-hmm. I in- expect 100% participation from everybody in this space if mm-hmm. we're going to learn anything. And, and the group did a lot of DEI type of work. And I listened to myself and where was I triggered? It was from people taking notes and not participating. Mm. So the way that everybody expects us to be vulnerable, right, right, right. The expectation that's is it should be the same it, because that's we're not learning if we can't reciprocate what we're giving out. And that's what was that's what made summer so special though, is why people finally were vulnerable. Like, summer, who's summer? You talking <laughs> no, about this last summer? Summer twenty twenty. Oh, you know, like white people finally on large scale were vulnerable. And I still we, saw a small amount though. It, it was, but it was, it, but on the lo- it was the largest scale that I've that seen since I You're was right. alive, yeah. right? So like that's the largest scale of, and but when you think in terms of like the civil rights movements, none of them have been led by white people, which is the problem. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Like we, mm-hmm. they need like, that's where I'm at. I'm like, all right, so we've tried everything up to this point. We're going to need our fellow well-meaning white folks to like literally get in the bed and start the revolution. Mm. Like, cause that's, I feel like from that's a, numbers, a whole another podcast right now. Absolutely. Dave Jones. From a number, but I'm pretty radical in my thinking sometimes. And no, I'm like, I agree with you. This is what has to happen if it's going to move. Do you think though that the, the tendency to be a white savior is going to just flip on and then they're going to forget what they're, who they're actually fighting for. 
because that is a, a potential problem that there's I a see. There's a whole slew of things. There's right. giving up your whiteness. There's social capital that's given up. There is, there's a lot of, there's, because that's white supremacy talking. Like white supremacy is the boogeyman. It's like, oh, if I do this, I'm going to, well, no, it's just a bull. It's a big bully sitting in the background that if you sock it in its face, it's just going to be like, oh, and it's going to go run or be violent and try to kill you. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. nah. So anyway, that, I feel like there has to be a really big, re- we haven't reconciled as a country, basically. No, we haven't. And we, it's almost like we're refusing to at this point. And so now that's why I say, that's why I frame it like that. Like we mm-hmm. have, it's not going to be on black people. Black people are not going to be the people, black and brown people are not going to be the ones leading the charge on this. It has to come from a contingent of white folks too, who say, you know what, this is bullshit. We need to go ahead and like whip this and right. we need to reconcile first and foremost. Reparations are needed. All of these things. Like I feel very strongly about that. And I think by the end of this century, going into the next century, that will be a real conversation. Which one? You just said a lot. Reparations. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that's white probably going to happen. Civil rights movement. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, Dave, I can't wait to see it. Well, I'm going to be I want to be alive for it. I would <laughs> like gonna, it to happen in my <laughs> lifetime. I'm Okay, is everybody listening? But we're, hey, but we're on record. <laughs> this, is what, this is what's great about this year, though. You can go, we're in the 20s, you know, yep. and sometime in the 70s, people are going to be listening to Wind and Mirror Bowes. This better be a whole new world. A whole new world. Look at what's happening right now. What's old is new. What's new is old. Right. Tulsa riots happened in 21. And in 21, we had an insurrection. You know what I mean? Right. What's old is new and what's new is old. So, yeah. Anyway, I appreciate you coming on and being vulnerable. And thanks for the value you've given people. It's a tough topic to talk about. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't think adults know what they do to children. It's another thing. Facts. So I know you're trying to wrap this up, but I keep coming oh, up with all more good. stuff. I, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here for it. So it would be good if, uh, you know, the mixed conversation is coming up a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I think that I would like to see white people participate in how to um, assist in not traumatizing mixed children as yeah. well. You know. And, and it's not to take away, obviously, don't traumatize any children, but the really stupid stuff people say, and I imagine if it's said to mixed kids, it's said to other black and brown children as mm-hmm. well. Um, just really think about what you're saying in the, the earshot yeah. of children. You know what? I'm also going to go one step further. It's not just white people. I think when we have Asian Americans need to start entering this conversation, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen large scale. We need Hispanic Latino folks to enter this conversation large scale. Our native and indigenous folks and black people are continually at the bottom of home ownership mm-hmm. rates, incarceration, everything, every single metric health. We're at the bottom. Right. And it's like a wide gap, even to the Hispanic Latino community. Like they have higher ownership rates than black folks in Washington, in the state of Washington. Right. I'm confused. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm perplexed. I'm not asking to be number one. I'm asking to just be in the in the game. We're the in Mariners. The mix, I just right. said we're the Seattle Mariners right now. Like black people are the Seattle Mariners of oh, America. Oh, sports ball. Yeah. You know, I so, have no idea what anyway, that analogy is. <laughs> well, we continue. <laughs> Basically, we lose a lot. Okay. We lose a lot. All you right. know, like um, in it, from a from a data from a data perspective, from a life experience expense perspective, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, I just think that we have a long way to go. But I also want to have everybody in, involved, not just white and black people or black and brown people. Like, 
everybody right. needs to be involved in this conversation. And it seems like there's a lot of people sitting out right now. And that is why I show up. And that is why I choose not to pass, I guess. Right. Like it's not an option because that. there's there's so much to continue fighting for. How mm-hmm. can you be idle right. when based off everything that you said that is common knowledge, the information is available. How can anybody not be fighting? Well, yeah, some people just ain't built like that, I guess. <laughs> or they don't know where to start or they don't. There's know. that. Well, they listen to this. If they're listening to this point of the podcast, whatever you're they're, feeling they're compelled or drawn to in this moment, whatever popped into your head in this moment, go do it. Perfect. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap up on that note. How can people get a hold of you if they wanted to ask you questions or anything or dive more into this? Uh, well, you can follow me on Instagram. Sometimes I post a lot. Sometimes I do not. And my handle is Jasmine J. And I'll spell it for you because my dad got clever. J-A-S-M-Y-N-J. That's a whole other conversation <laughs> in terms of names. Right. <laughs> and how many times has your name been misspelled and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Or people ask like, yeah. So that's a whole other conversation. But thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening. Uh, we have a whole week worth of conversations. So this is not where it ends. Uh, Black History Month Reflection Week at Inside Abode. Let's go. That's it.